This is Cultivating Place, conversations on natural history and the human impulse to garden. From North State Public Radio in Northern California, I'm Jennifer Jewell. In our ongoing conversation about the many ways we as gardeners and cultivators gather, learn, and grow together, today we head to a podcast and a public policy advocacy organization, the National Young Farmers Coalition, working toward ensuring a bright and just future for U.S. agriculture. Farming as public service, which it is, right? It, it you yeah. know, you have these individuals all across the country who are taking incredible risk to ensure that their communities have food security. Opportunities like that to really help farmers do well, but also to elevate this profession as something so special and so essential and critical to our country is what I'd like to see. We'll be right back. This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. In our ongoing series on ways by which we as natural history loving gardeners keep ourselves informed and up to date with all manner of lifelong learning, this week we're joined by Lindsay Lusher Shute, outgoing executive director of the National Young Farmers Coalition and host of the Young Farmers Podcast. Even one listening session of this podcast will teach many people as it did me, more about public policy and advocacy along the lines of agriculture in our country than any other source I know. Lindsay is here to share more about her life's work and that of the coalition and the projects they are both involved in, including why she thinks it's more important than ever that we as gardening creatures are as informed and vocal as we can be on behalf of our shared agricultural future. She joins us today from the Young Farmers Podcast Studio in Kingston, New York. Welcome, Lindsay. Thank you. Thanks for having me on, Jennifer. And thank you for saying such a nice thing about our, our podcast. The The purpose is to get more people engaged with the policy process and talk about these emerging issues in agriculture. So I really appreciate that. I also feel that it is so important. And sometimes, especially for a home gardener level person, it is so overwhelming and complex and sometimes contentious that you kind of zone out. And it's more important than ever right now that we as gardening citizens don't tune out. So I'd like to get started with a general description from you about what the National Young Farmers Coalition even is. Sure. Well, the National Young Farmers Coalition, I was a co-founder back in, well, really the conversation started happening in 2009, and then we were founded in, in 2010. And it is a national network by young and beginning farmers and for young and beginning farmers. We are f- fighting for a bright and just future for agriculture in the United States. We have chapters all across the country. Uh, we presently have 42 chapters in 28 states. We do policy work at both the state and the federal level, and we offer business services and technical support relevant to young farmer needs. So the the heart of the mission is this concept of a bright and just future. Unpack for, for me and for listeners, 
the history of why this became important and why these words were at the heart of your mission? Yeah, that's I, I appreciate that question um, and how we describe our mission over time has has changed really mm-hmm. to reflect the the community of young farmers that we are representing and the issues that we are bringing forward. And as over the last 10 years, I've been working on this issue and with this community, we have done a lot of learning and really have um, defined our organization constantly in in new ways um, to to best serve the young farmers that we work with. So, I mean, the, the concept of a bright future for agriculture, this is really something that was central uh, to the reason uh, that um, I was a co-founder of the Young Farmers Coalition with two other farmers in the Hudson Valley. My, my husband, Ben, uh, who remains a full-time farmer, and Severin Fleming, who was organizer for an organization called the Greenhorns um, mm-hmm. that still exists to this day. And at that moment, all three of us were facing major obstacles um, in just running a a farm and being able to make um, a really a viable living in agriculture and to know that we were working towards a career that was ultimately going to support ourselves and our families for a lifetime. For Ben and I, the primary issue was access to land. Uh, we had run a farm Hardy Roots Community Farm is the name of our farm for about six years in the Hudson Valley. And the land where we were farming uh, was sold and it went on the market, 100 acres for almost three million dollars at the time. Right. (laughs) And we didn't have anywhere else to farm. We ended up renting land, but there was no land where we could really have that secure land tenure that we needed to build a foundation, uh, to be able to capitalize a business, to have you know the barn we needed and the infrastructure we needed to really be successful. We have a highly diversified organic vegetable farm. So it was at that moment that land went up for sale. Our rental agreement wasn't what we wanted it to be, where we were fundamentally asking this question, are we going to be able to make it? And feeling like young farmers who were at the forefront of this issue, who were unable to put all the pieces together, despite a USDA calling for more young and beginning farmers and uh, a consumer population wanting to purchase our food, the fact that we were still unable to make the numbers work from a business perspective led us to say we need to organize we need to tell our story we need to work on some of these foundational issues that make it so difficult to be successful in farming from a financial perspective these days the Mm -hmm. issue of justice uh, racial equity has become incredibly important uh, to the mission of the organization, particularly over the last last few years, where we have felt the need as an organization to acknowledge and really point out the injustices and the violence towards people of color in the food system now and throughout the course of history, and particularly in the United States, because so much of that informs the ability of uh, young people of color to succeed in in a system of agriculture and a rural America today. So that is something that is also really uh, core to our mission now, that We are working for a bright future for agriculture in the United States where farmers can succeed, but we want 
as part of that, not just one group of farmers or young people to be able to make a path in agriculture. We want to make sure that we are really creating a path for all folks in this country, all young people in this country who want to pursue agriculture. We want them to be able to find that path and really feel comfortable and safe in agriculture as a career. Yeah. I mean, you've hit on so many points here that I hope we will dive down into through the course of the conversation. But the the crux of it is such a dilemma in terms of we as people wanting to have healthy food, healthy soil, healthy living for our for our population of people, no matter who you are. And yet, if you can't find land to work on, the problems of access to food or access to good food or how food is produced and and who it goes to, that urgency that you felt when this land was put up for sale, when it was so far beyond your means to possibly purchase it, and rental agreements were were sketchy and, and hard and just how to even advocate for yourself on a a legal or business level, you clearly tapped into a lot of other people who were feeling the same thing at the same time. But before we get into those initial years of the founding and the projects that got the, the coalition started, give us a little bit of a background on you and your husband and the founding of the farm and What made you a kind of person that would want to farm so desperately that this loss of that ability propelled you into this public advocacy position, Lindsay? Mm. Well, you know, I think both both Ben and I are from unlikely backgrounds when it comes to seeing seeing that um, or feeling that urgency or maybe unexpected backgrounds. So uh, my husband Ben is from New York City. Uh, he he grew up in an apartment uh, with without really a garden at his disposal. I think he had one um, at at his grandmother's house where he he was able to you know get his hands in the soil a little bit. But he was really exposed to agriculture um, in Massachusetts at during college. He just really became engaged with this bigger question of food security and mm. how the the nation is addressing this um, from. Um, perspective of social justice and also from an environmental perspective as well. He was able to do a farm apprenticeship after college out at Salvi Island Organics outside of Mm. um, Portland, Oregon. And he came back to the city after that. And I think he just, you know, sort of had that bug in him. Like he, he knew he Mm -hmm. had to farm. He worked at um, a nonprofit for a while, but you know, when he had the opportunity to move upstate and farm, he just he just took it because I think he loved the confluence of so many opportunities in agriculture, the opportunity to be an op- entrepreneur, to work on issues of food security, to work on social justice issues, to be an environmental steward, to be outside. I mean, it just it was something that um, he just loved and he wanted to be a mm-hmm. part of. And I think he, you know, in, in becoming a co-founder of the organization with me, uh, for both of us, it was, the motivation was 
being able to see the opportunity of all of these young people coming into agriculture. It wasn't just us, of course, um, on this farm, but our you know extended community of farmers in the Hudson Valley and across the country, in fact, who mm-hmm. were dealing with issues of being able to buy land, being kicked off their land mid-season because of uh, poor lease agreements or misunderstandings with landlords, just the vulnerability of this community that ultimately mm-hmm. really needed to be protected and lifted up because they could have such a a positive impact uh, for the nation at large. So that, I think, motivated both of us to to pursue the founding of the Young Farmers Coalition. I grew up in Ohio, in Columbus, Ohio, uh, in a a suburb, had a very shady, unsuccessful garden (laughs) with with my, um, you know, parents growing up. But I was really exposed to farming and agriculture at my grandfather's farm in southeast Ohio, in Gallia County, right on on the Ohio River. And Mm. that farm has gotten much smaller over time um, as it's been divided between generations and the like. But um, when I was growing up, it it was about 100 acres. And my grandfather was a, a minister, but, you know, he had a two acre garden every, every summer and, you know, would cultivate it with a Alice Chalmers G, which actually Ben and I have now at our farm. He would share the harvest with the entire neighborhood and of course with his family. And I just have really amazing memories of being in that place, being with him and, and my grandmother eating all of the canned vegetables that they would put up in the cellar house uh, over the summertime and eating eating fresh melon from the field. It was it was just sort of a magical place to me and really a mm-hmm. contrast from, you know, my, my su- mainly suburban upbringing. So I, I really always just had this, this love of agriculture and growing things. I think that was really born out of those early experiences um, in Ohio. But then I moved to college, uh, moved to New York City for college. And after graduating, I ended up moving to a very industrial street in Brooklyn and there happened to be an abandoned community lot um, that was intended to be a community garden, but it was just kind of um, sort of protected from development at the time. And for whatever reason, I just felt very desperate for green space uh, right after school. And I felt like the garden was an opportunity to to learn about growing things and also just connect with uh, the community around me. And mm. so I took it upon myself to to start that garden with neighbors. And in the process of doing so, I actually met Ben. Um, and, and that's where our, <laughs> our story together begins. And then you started your own diversified farm endeavor. Describe mm. that. Yeah. So Ben, while he he was in the city growing on you know, this, this garden plot and on his roof and the like. And then he had the opportunity to move upstate, uh, to become a business partner, uh, with Hardy Roots. And initially we, uh, rented land from two retired dairy farmers and the farm started off as a half acre. And then every season, uh, Ben and his business partner essentially doubled the size of the farm, um, until Mm -hmm. it's become you know, the size that we've been at for several years now, uh, where we have around seven to 900 CSA members every season and cultivating about 25 acres of, of vegetables in a, in a given year. When you say diversified, describe that for listeners who might not be familiar with that concept. Yeah, that, you know, when I started working in agriculture and agricultural policy, 
that word always confused me a little, a little bit too. Um, so I think people say this because they're trying to con contrast themselves with something that might be a you know mono monoculture monocrop operation and people mean a whole range of things when you say you have a diversified operation but for us mm-hmm. we grow 60 to 70 varieties of vegetables every season basically everything you can grow uh, in our in our climate we grow it um, and we also have about 1500 laying hens right now we do uh, pastured eggs and then we also have you know about five pigs a year so a really really small little um, pig share that we offer too so that's what we mean uh, we grow a lot of different things and this diversification is essential uh, to risk management on our farm to make sure Mm. that, you know, we're offering a lot of different things that, you know, from a marketing perspective that many different consumers will enjoy. But also, you know, if one thing on the farm doesn't do well during a season, we still have many other things to offer. One, One season, for instance, we had late blight that came to the region very early and we actually lost an entire acre of beautiful organic tomatoes in the course of a week they just melted down and this was spread across the northeast in fact and we were okay that season because we had csa we had csa members who were committed to our success um but we also had many other crops to offer and we were able to grow more things at the end of the season to make up for the lack of tomatoes. So just as an example, diversification is is incredibly important for uh, our farm business. It's also great mm-hmm. for the, the soil and for the mm-hmm. ecosystem of the farm as well, that diversity. Right. And it's, it's one of those models that really does illustrate how the concept of diversity in general is just a very good idea. It's a very good idea environmentally. It's a very good idea socially. It's a very good idea economically. Lindsay Lusher-Shoot is the executive director and one of the original founders of the National Young Farmers Coalition, building a bright and just future for U.S. agriculture. We'll be right back to hear more about the growing work of the coalition and its importance to us all. Stay with us. Hey, I hope you're enjoying this casual series encouraging our own lifelong learning tendencies as gardeners. So much variety and spice to the ways we expand our own passions and practices. It's good to be a gardener especially with spring insight. Your heart kind of races, doesn't it? Mine does. Speaking of learning and sharing, gathering and growing, would you like even more cultivating place in your life? If yes, you're in luck. You can subscribe to our View From Here newsletter. A View From Here is the email update I send out towards the end of each month, which this month would be this week. The Views letter includes something a little different each time. Botanical thoughts, information on upcoming horticultural or seasonal events, and more. This is bonus content, ideas, events, people, or plants I've been loving but haven't been able to feature on the program itself. 
If you love the podcast, I think you'll love what the Views letter brings to your inbox each month. Head to cultivatingplace.com forward slash newsletter to read more and sign up. Oh, and it's completely free. Now, back to our conversation with Lindsay Lusher-Shute of the National Young Farmers Coalition. This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. Today, we're in our third episode in a casual series on the many ways we as gardeners gather, learn, and grow together in our own passions and practices. Increasingly, podcasts are an excellent source of information and engagement, and the National Young Farmers Coalition have their own podcast, which is an excellent source of information regarding agricultural public policy and how it affects the ways that places are cultivated across the country. We're back after a break. Welcome. You are still involved with Hardy Roots. Describe how you got through that the anxiety of that moment where mm. it, some some land was taken away and you were able to figure out a resolution for yourselves, at least in in time. Well, that resolution was actually years in the making. Uh, we mm-hmm. we moved off the property initially to from a farming perspective. We moved our crop production to another property that we were renting, and we embarked on a very long process of trying to buy land. Uh, we, you know, continued, as, uh, you know, searching for really anything under a million dollars in our region where we didn't have to change our entire customer base to be able, um, you know, to, you know, to find land where we wouldn't, you know, have to market to a totally different community. We had right in our own town, many people who were very supportive of our farm and we wanted to stay. So that was, that was really the challenge uh, to find a a property nearby that we could afford. Uh, Eventually it was through those community connections that we did find a farm uh, just up the road from our old operation. And it happened that, one of our CSA members had purchased this land because she didn't want it to be developed. Apparently, she was competing against a developer at the time who wanted to put about 50 houses on that property. And she lives next door and didn't want that to happen, so she bought it and was at the point of conserving it. She was going to sell the development rights on that property to a local land trust. So what she did is she ended up selling those development rights and then turning Um, around and selling the land um, at its conservation value to us. So we were Mm -hmm. able to buy protected land and it was at a much lower cost than it would have been if it had just been, you know, listed um, and, and sold on the real estate market. Wow. I think I asked these questions because there are so many lessons that you all had to learn on your own that then come to bear on what you bring to the National Young Farmers Coalition. And I'm sure every single member brings these same kinds of lessons that are then shared over a network of time and space and people become such valuable learning mechanisms. It's true. We're we're constantly learning at Young Farmers Coalition. I, you, know, as, as you could never... 
every time I've, you know, I feel like I, I understand something, then there's additional information, right? It's just, it's a right. constant, it's, you just have to sort of have a beginner's mind with a lot of these things. There are, you mm-hmm. are, are learning along the way, but, um, it's just important to, to stay in it and know that there is, there's always so much ahead in, in terms of understanding agriculture. It's so different depending on the region of the country. The challenges are slightly different. You know, those might be um, climate challenges or, um, you know, structural legal challenges, whatever it might be. So, yeah, Young Farmers Coalition we have learned a lot along the way, and that's been in large part due to really, you know, creating a community of learners and mm-hmm. individuals who contribute to our to our platform and and tell their stories, so we can really be adaptive um, and advocate for what people need. This is a perfect segue into the specifics of the work of the NYFC, and define for listeners what do you mean by young or beginning. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question and a controversial one. Uh, people <laughs> always ask ask us, "What do you mean by young farmer?" And you know, basically, it's a first generation farmer, right? Someone mm-hmm. who, as a young person, pursues agriculture, um, and generally, that's someone in their twenties or thirties. It's usually someone who's pursuing it as their first career. So mm-hmm. you know, they might they might go and and dabble in other things first, or you know, have a um, something, you know, that they're, they've done professionally before pursuing agriculture, but then agriculture is really what defines them. Um, and that's what they Mm -hmm. want to do for a lifetime. And it's different than an individual who might be a beginning farmer, but is retiring as a beginning farmer, uh, just because they, Mm -hmm. um, have different sort of social capital built up. They have real capital built up and savings, uh, potentially land to work work with and the like. Young Farmers Coalition is really built to ensure that someone who is is young in age in their 20s and 30s can can pursue agriculture successfully, that there is a path for them, that they are not mm-hmm. so weighed down by their student debt or inability to find land that they just never get started. Uh, there is, right. you know, as, as I'm sure, you know, as a gardener, it's physical work. So there mm. is, there is relevance to, to youth in this field. Uh, you want to be right. able to start a farm when you can take risks, when, you know, you're, you're physically able, uh, the most vibrant farms that we see throughout our network are really those where farmers have the opportunity to start young and really grow into that role, make, make a lot of mistakes along the way potentially, but they're able to really pursue that full on, you know, even before they're having, you know, before they have a uh, family or children or the like, they're, they're able to really, you know, throw themselves into the career. Yeah. It's funny when you said that about the the physical work. I'm like, well, based on Instagram, farming is really just all about like huge bunches of beautiful carrots or dahlias, <laughs> but um, which always makes right, me laugh right, of uh, because it it's a full contact sport. And if you're yeah. trying to do it for a living to support not only your own family but to to support an entire community of people with good food and environmental ethics, it is really hard work. Mm-hmm. Clearly, the coalitions mission and its its objectives over time have grown and been refined and been built on. But describe 
you know, sort of in a bullet point way, the key areas of concern and issues of importance to the coalition at this point? Yeah, absolutely. And I just just a clarification of what I just said. I mean, the, the emphasis of the organization is to really advocate for those young people, 20s and, you know, individuals yeah. in their 20s and 30s, give them an an opportunity to speak up and be leaders in this space and fight for the change that they need. But the organization itself is not exclusive to young people. So, and, you know, we have many <laughs> young at heart many, counts, right? <laughs> many older farmers who are who are members, who are allies, who are who are trusted mentors yeah. in this space, and we welcome everyone to the Young Farmers Coalition. Just just to be clear on that. Good um, to know. <laughs> Good to know. Because diversity of age is important, and our elders have so much to bring to the table. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Good to, yes. Yeah. Good clarification. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's been an interesting conversation because I think some of our Young Farmers chapters have said, well, we feel uncomfortable saying we're the Young Farmers Coalition or whatnot. But then we've had elders push back and say, no, that is what's special about you you need you need to fight for youth and agriculture because you are so important yeah. so it's a it's an active conversation um, mm-hmm. so some of the core things that we are fighting for everything that we fight for is centered and based on the needs of young and young and beginning farmers across the country. We do reports, we do surveys. We just completed one in 2017 called Building a Future with Farmers that helps us to understand what young farmers need now. And based on what young farmers have told us, the central issues are really um, structural in nature. So, you know, number one is access to land, the affordability of land. This is central to so many, so many young farmers across the country. If you can't have secure land tenure, if you can't own land or have a you know decades-long lease, then it is incredibly difficult to farm, and it's incredibly difficult to put in place some of the environmental practices that I think many people would like to see if you don't have that long-term land security. Student mm-hmm. debt is another issue that we've been working on extensively. So many young people these days are graduating from college with tens of thousands of student you know, dollars of student loans. And we are seeing young farmers try to then get their first loan to capitalize a farm, to, to buy that first piece of land or a tractor or whatnot. And these other debts, you know, from college are you know, on on the books too, and it's actually interfering with their ability to get credit. It's actually making mm-hmm. it that much harder uh, to start a farm because of student debt. In addition to the fact that it's just hard to pay back loans uh, while while farming, and we've had some young farmers. They're, you know, they're they're doing an income-based program or the like, and they're just watching their interest pile up in the, <laughs> you know, on the back end, uh, on mm-hmm. online with their statements and the like, and they just get out of farming because they say, I don't see any way out of this, right? I I yeah. can't let this pile up. Um, and then we've been working a lot on healthcare and on on training the next generation of young and beginning farmers. Yeah, all of these things are. So important. Um, and you kind of can't do one without the other. And just in listening to your and Ben's history and story, you can see where each of these these elements came to play at a certain point. Mm. You know, the access to land, the protection of land for farming going into the future that was thankfully and beautifully resolved with your community member there, the affordability of land and then the affordability of having an actual business structure. The 
Young Farmers Coalition also has some really strong positions on environmental practices Mm. for these young and independent farmers moving forward, which I find so heartening in the landscape of agriculture at this time. Talk a little bit about those and and maybe outline some of the differences across the the country because they, they take on a slightly different lens in different areas. I'm thinking here specifically of um, the Western water trainings mm. um, and, and then some of the different issues with herbicides and pesticides, that kind of policy information you guys provide. Sure. So I would say that the majority of young farmers in our network are farming in part because they are stewards of the land. They're conservationists. They're environmentalists. They, they self-identify as a person who is going to care for the land and redefine farming in some ways as, as stewardship um, and as conservation. Mm-hmm. And so that um, really informs how many of our farmers choose to farm, um, whether they have a no-till operation or a diversified operation or the irrigation or soil health practices they put in place. It's about land conservation um, and it's about doing good to the earth and really really feeling like they're contributing in that way. This, this does take different forms uh, depending on where our farmers are in the country. I would say in, in the western United States, the, the water situation, the drought situation is particularly acute. And so it is very much top of mind, um, you know, water availability and soil health practices. We initially mm-hmm. um, went into this work thinking about access to water, water resources, um, you know, maintaining flows in, in rivers and the like, really from more of an efficiency perspective, but where we ended up, and by efficiency, I mean, you know, using drip irrigation as an example. Mm -hmm. Um, But Mm -hmm. where we really ended up is taking care of soil, um, increasing soil organic matter and opportunities to do that as really one of the most important uh, ways for farmers to maintain and boost productivity in this, um, you know, drought uh, situation. Mm -hmm. So that's what we have been doing a lot of training on for our farmers is building building that soil organic matter. Um, we also connect what we're doing with um, training for, for farmers on water and soil in terms of management practices with policy. So we've also been training farmers to be part of the conversation, the bigger conversation around water, for instance, the Colorado Water Plan, um, mm-hmm. moving that forward, thinking about environmental practices from a policy perspective as well, from, you know, really broad scale, thinking about water management um, as it as it pertains to the entire state or region. So our, our trainings are as much about management practices as looking at the entire system and how young farmers can really uh, advocate for stewardship um, and good practices within that context. Um, you know, nationally, when it comes to the use of um, pesticides. It's not something that we've done a ton of work on, although we did do a podcast uh, with with Dan Charles recently uh, talking about dicamba, which is an emerging issue and one with great significance uh, to 
farmers in the southeast and increasingly across the country and one that that we are following. Um, It's not something that we've dealt with exclusively, but it's something that is um, certainly of growing importance and significance uh, to our farmers, thinking about about pollinators, thinking about soil health, thinking about farm worker health, um, all of this matters. Lindsay Lusher-Shoot is the executive director and one of the original founders of the National Young Farmers Coalition, building a bright and just future for U.S. agriculture. Agricultural groups, especially smaller independent farm and farm issue groups, are often keenly energetic and creative sources of information and innovation within our communities. One example in my community is our local slow food chapter. Slow Food North Valley. A group of caring local food growers and advocates, Slow Food North Valley are focused in particular on school gardens and edible education. My local chapter is meeting up for their big spring gathering at Farm Star Pizza on March 10th. If you want to get involved, look for details at this week's show notes at cultivatingplace.com. If you're not in my area, Look for Slow Food or other local agricultural organizations who are at work near you. There's lots to learn. We'll be right back to hear more about the National Young Farmers Coalition and all they're doing on both local and national levels. Stay with us. We'll be right back after a break. Hey, here are the ideas that are sticking with me and have me thinking out loud this week. Diversity, security, cultivating as a public service, and elevating how we value and center the cultivators in our world. In the midst of this series on how we grow and further educate ourselves, the realities of what we value in thought, word, and deed are sometimes hard for me to sit with. I know I value my garden, my gardening practice. I know it improves everything for me and around me. I think the same is true for you all. And I bet that if you're listening right now, you firmly value other thoughtful land and community stewarding gardeners, farmers, and teachers. And yet, yet, how often do we say or think or hear and not respond when we hear language along the lines of just a gardener, or I'm just gardening, or just a teacher, or even they're just a farmer. So here's my task this week, a challenge for us all. Check yourself, hear your own language and self-talk. Are your words and actions reflecting the importance of the things you love and value? no matter where they stand in the cultural hierarchy of what is valued? Our gardens are not lifestyle commodities or superficial hobbies in our spare time. As Ursula K. Le Guin points out, there is no time to spare, and our gardens matter. They are not products of consumerism. They are life itself. I'm at work right now on an episode about kids and gardening. Did you know that the average U.S. child spends less than seven minutes a day on unstructured outdoor play, and yet more than seven hours a day 
in front of a screen? I'm also curating a five-part series on habitat for biodiversity in our gardens. You and I know this practice we share matters. It matters more than ever. And it's always a help to know we're in it together. So I challenge us all, check your language this week. Check the language of other people you know. Do your words match your heart and your practice? Now, back to our conversation with Lindsay Lusher-Shute of the National Young Farmers Coalition. This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. We're back with Lindsay Lusher-Shute, outgoing executive director of the National Young Farmers Coalition. Their training, advocacy, and policy work is striving for a bright and just future for U.S. agriculture. Welcome back. I think one of the things that I found so beautiful and um, surprising to, to me, in fact, was when I was doing some of my own research uh, after listening to a couple of the episodes and the dicamba one just blew me away, mm-hmm. by the way. The idea that the Western water trainings really do get a lot deeper than, you know, water at night, water deeply, water with drip, whatever mm-hmm. those kind of easy fixes are and get back into some of the local and Indigenous in some cases, and and if not, then accumulated historically uh, knowledge on on different levels so that to save water, you have to start with saving your soil. And some of the knowledge of the Asakia keepers in, in the Southwest, I found really fascinating and hopeful. The water policy in the West is, you know, just characteristically very complicated and very contentious. And so some of this basic information I found, I I was very grateful to see in this space. In terms of the the different kinds of policy work you do, and and it has to be as surprising to you as anybody that you have found yourself in a position where you go from being a young farmer trying to figure things out to like addressing large policymaker organizations, and I, I believe you actually addressed Congress at a certain point um, about what the young farmers were doing. And last year you had a convergence. It's going to be the last convergence for you as executive director. Talk about what the convergence was and what its goals were and some of these policy level hopes you have for the future of National Young Farmers Coalition, Lindsay. Yeah, so this year was our fourth national leadership convergence. Um, We have moved the convergence across the the country. It was actually in California twice. It was in uh, New Mexico last year. And this year, uh, well, in 2018, we brought it to Washington, D.C. to correspond with the passage um, and advocacy for the 2018 Farm Bill. We had over 100 Mm -hmm. farmers, young people from all across the country, come together for four days. They toured local farms and they had uh, two days of advocacy and leadership training on specific issues and just campaigns in general. And also incorporating topics like land access and food safety and even racial equity. And then we had a day on the hill. So we brought all the farmers over you know, to Capitol Hill, and they went, <laughs> all of them probably did like eight to 10 meetings each, just 
boom, 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 back to back uh, to meet with their own members and go with um, their group from their state or region to, to speak with other members as well to tell their stories and really urge the passage of the, the 2018 Farm Bill. You know, it was my last convergence as executive director of, of the coalition. And honestly, I just I couldn't be prouder um, of of our organization, of the staff uh, who have stepped up in so many ways and really created this incredible community of young and beginning farmers across the country. You know, one of the things that I think is so important for any organization is just to create a ladder of engagement and clear steps to get involved Mm. and make your voice heard and become part of something. And through our chapter network, through Convergence, through now more and more examples of our state chapters passing legislation at the local level, we have really been able to create uh, a very robust and real on-ramp for the next generation of leadership uh, in agriculture across the country. And that was just so present at the convergence this year. Like, you know, I, I always do sort of a annual state of the coalition and just, you know, speaking up there And seeing all of these incredible young farmers from so many different places at so many different scales, growing totally different crops in different regions and the like. (laughs) It was just it was a really meaningful and wonderful experience. Um, And no matter, you know, sort of what the outcome in terms of the 2018 Farm Bill at that moment, I mean, just having that community present and so strong and so connected is to me, like the main thing, right? To, to have that yeah. community in place and ready to take action. And ultimately we were successful last year um, in, in the Farm Bill. Um, in many of the, the programs that we have been advocating for for years, we were able to get um, you know permanent funding, $25 million a year for beginning farmer training. We uh, dramatically increased uh, outreach and training funding for uh, indigenous farmers, farmers of color, and veteran farmers, socially disadvantaged farmers. Uh, we mm-hmm. were able to double the amount of money for land conservation. There was just a, there were a lot of things to be proud of in the Farm Bill, um, and I know that that community of young young people who came to D.C. but you know prior to that had you know met with their members of Congress and district, brought them on farm tours, raised their voices um, in so many different ways. I I just could see see them in that success. So. You know, when it comes to the future of of agriculture, what I'm hopeful in terms of the policy um, that I'd like to see move forward, you know, we've got to deal with this land access issue in a bigger way. There are opportunities Mm -hmm. at both the state and the federal level to ensure that farmers are selling their land to other farmers and we're protecting that land. That's the key thing. Uh, Farmland, you know, needs to be reserved uh, on some level for working farmers. Working farmers, it is increasingly difficult uh, for independent owner operators to compete with non-farmers, much more scaled corporate entities, foreign ownership, you name it, right? The the landscape is much more competitive. And if we want family farmers to exist into the future for, you know, in 100 years, we have got to make sure that land can transition from one farmer to the next and at a price point that is genuinely affordable to farmers so they, mm-hmm. they can make a good living. Um, we have to deal with student loans. Student loans are an issue for all young Americans, all young people in the United States. And for farmers, 
you know, it, it can be just sort of the end of the story for them. You have young people who are bright, who have even studied at an agricultural institution, sort of the guaranteed path to becoming a farmer, and they get out of school with all of all of this debt. And I, you know, explained earlier, you know, how that really interferes with their ability to, to capitalize mm-hmm. that property or, you know, that, that farm business into the future. So we need to provide some relief. We need to provide a path for young, young people to be able to pay back their debt and farm at the same time. We have a, a policy that we, and a campaign called Farming is Public Service. And I, I am a believer in that campaign, both because it would be an opportunity for farmers to do this, to pay back their loans and build their business at the same time. But it also just is, you know, a really positive spin on on farming as a public service, which it is, right? It, it yeah. you know, you have these individuals all across the country who are taking incredible risk to ensure that their communities have food security and that yeah. land is stewarded. So opportunities like that to really help farmers do well, but also to elevate this profession as something so special and so essential and critical to our country is what I'd like to see. And I guess the last thing is we have to take action on climate. Um, You asked about environmental practices earlier that our farmers care about, and climate is certainly something that they're thinking a lot about these days and how they can sequester carbon on their farm operations. Climate change is an incredible risk uh, to the future mm. of, of food and agriculture, and we need much larger scale um, opportunities to address it, um, or else many of the operations that we depend on today will just not be viable for a whole host of reasons, whether that's uh, water insecurity or flooding or um, because of climate volatility, you name it. Our farmers are experiencing climate change on the ground right now, and we have got to move forward solutions to really address it. Yeah. And in many ways, I see farmers and agricultural organizations like the Young Farmers Coalition as being some of the most progressive in the actions they're taking and the the suggestions they are putting into the world for addressing climate change. It would be nice to see all of the really big ag be on that same page. But until then, I think the Young Farmers Coalition and all of us as citizens, we we make a pretty big cohort. And when I think about I know you have had Leah Penniman on as a guest, as have I, and there are several very active indigenous groups in my part of the country who are working on this idea of land reparations and thinking creatively and outside of the box of direct land inheritance. And I again come back to the the woman in your community who bought a piece of land so that it wasn't developed and then figured out a way to get it into land trust conservation mm. and then have it be farmed in a in a useful and respectful way. You know, my audience is really the 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 passionate and the dedicated home gardener. Um and I see so many points of intersection. You might say, well, agriculture is not gardening and gardening is not agriculture. What are you talking about? But there are so many points of intersection here and um, and joint issues of concern um, that I, I feel like there are great connections and collaborations to be made. Can you d- address that a little bit? Sure. Well, I mean, it is um – <laughs> to me, it's it's the idea of uh, gardening. It just sort of brings up a memory, and I, I think this still happens. Where 
many people coming from a larger, different agricultural context do refer to our farm as a garden. Like, how is the garden going? <laughs> which is fine. Which is fine. But um, anyways, I mean, there are some direct connections in that the, the kind of farming that many of the young farmers in our network are doing it looks like a very, very large garden, right? <laughs> There's that, you know, that that sort of in, in intensity and diversity, um, but, a, you know, generally a little bit larger scale. Um, yeah, I mean, we need gardeners um, and people who love food and agriculture who don't do it professionally. We must have a, a broader audience of individuals engaged yeah. in solving some of these problems to make progress. There are so yeah. few farmers across the country. Uh, they're in, they're incredible, each and every one of them. But it is a small community, and for us to make uh, the the bigger change. Uh, we have got to engage a much larger audience of of consumers and gardeners. And I think you know gardeners are just are special because no matter what scale you're doing this work at, there's sort of a shared understanding of what it's like to have your your hands in the dirt and the soil and and mm-hmm. grow something from seed. Right? There's just a, a shared appreciation and under understanding of what it's what it's like to be a, a human uh, working with the earth in that way. Um, so, mm-hmm. I mean, I think gardeners are especially well suited uh, to really be the voice for sustainable agriculture, the voice for agriculture at large, and and independent operators in solving some of these fundamental structural issues that this next generation mm-hmm. and indeed the future of agriculture is is facing. It is obvious that you take great joy as well as pride in your work and I just want to thank you for for your work and am proud to be a subscriber to the podcast and look forward to many more years of advocacy and progress um, brought by you and hopefully with the support of many, many, many more citizen gardeners in, in our nation. So best of luck with your transition. I know you have new projects coming online. That's right. Would you like to would you like to say anything about those or not? Right uh, now? Sure. Yeah. So I my next step uh, is forming an agricultural cooperative. It's called Farm Generations, and we are working on software that will be cooperatively owned by farmers for farm sales. So there will be more out about that later this year. But I hope the the consumer and gardener community will. Um, remember the name and <laughs> look us up as uh, we bring uh, more more farms hopefully more easily to to uh, consumer audience but that's the idea that you know we've we've been talking about structural issues today that young and beginning farmers and in many cases all farmers face in running successful operations one thing we haven't addressed is technology uh, there have been many new platforms uh, that have been introduced software to help with crop management or farm sales or farm farm management and the like. Um, But none of these platforms have been owned by farmers themselves as a cooperative. So that's what we're looking to do, uh, to really put farmers in the driver's seat as owners of their own technology, of their own data, um, and be able to work together to really um, reach more consumers. Thank you for being a guest on the program today. It's been an honor to speak with you. Thank you so much for having me, Jennifer. It was fun. Lindsay Lusher-Shute is the outgoing executive director of the National Young Farmers Coalition and host of the National Young Farmers Podcast. Even one listening session to this podcast will teach many people, like it did me, 
far more about agricultural public policy and advocacy in our country right now than most sources. Lindsay co-founded the National Young Farmers Coalition with her husband Ben and Severin Fleming of the Greenhorns, creators and publishers of the New Farmers Almanac, among other wonderful work. The New Farmers Almanac is out and available now. The National Young Farmers Coalition is just one positive way to address some serious structural issues in the way farming is and isn't made accessible to the next generation of farmers. Join us again next week as the conversations continue on the many ways we as gardeners and cultivators gather, learn, and grow together when we're joined by Pam Pennick. Judy Seaborn, and Jennifer Spainhauer, the women behind a group known as the Garden Bloggers Fling and their upcoming summer 2019 gathering in Denver, Colorado. There are so many ways people engage in and grow from the cultivation of their places. Cultivating Places, a listener-supported co-production of North State Public Radio. For more information and many photos from the National Young Farmers Coalition and Lindsay Lusher Shoots Home Farm Hardy Roots, see this week's show notes at cultivatingplace.com. Thank you to everyone who makes this program possible. Listeners, donors, supporters, together we make a difference. Our producer is Sarah Bohannon. Our engineer is Sky Schofield. Original theme music is by Ma Muse, accompanied by Joe Craven and Sam Bevan. Cultivating Places distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.